um, by confessing something to you. And, uh, and I need to let you know this is not easy for me. Um, I have a problem that I've dealt with my entire life. Um, and I really feel like before I go any further, I need to let you know about this problem. My problem is a weight problem. I've struggled um, with weight my whole life, quite honestly. My weight problem causes changes in my personality. My weight problem causes me to do things that make others think less of me. My weight problem has even caused me not to eat at some of my favorite restaurants. My weight problem has caused me at times to really be out of control. Now, some of you are looking at me like I have two noses, because when I said I have a weight problem, you thought I was uh, communicating in terms of W-E-I-G-H-T. I'm talking about a different kind of weight problem, W-A-I-T. I struggle to wait. Have you ever been there before? All you want to do is get your grilled chicken sandwich and small coffee from McDonald's, but eight cars are in front of you, and it seems to just be an eternity until you can grab that cup of joe. I don't like to wait. Or maybe the doctor has run a test, and they know the results, their office knows the results, but you can't find out till Monday or Tuesday. You have to wait. Or maybe you've had that interview. And you're really anticipating the joy that that job will bring you. The increased income that you will benefit from. And you have to wait. Or maybe, just maybe, a prodigal has left home. And you're waiting for him or for her to come home. And you're forced to wait. We don't like to wait, do we? Well, we're going to meet a character in our Bible today, and there's no PowerPoint, and there's no sermon outline, so I just want you to grab the Bible in front of you, and I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at one of the great supporting actors of the Christmas narrative. It's someone that we read about, and we probably forget about almost as quickly as the word goes through our mind. It's a guy by the name of Simeon. We don't know a whole lot about him, but in Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 21, this is after the birth of Jesus has taken place. We see this account according to Dr. Luke. Verse 21 of Luke chapter 2. Luke records this. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, and the the name the angel had given him before he'd been conceived. Now when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And then we see this parenthetical note. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, get this, he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
Well, there's a lot in those six verses of Scripture that I could preach on. We're not really even going to spend a lot of time looking at at these six verses application-wise. But just to let you know, notice that it was the eighth day that the baby Jesus' parents had him circumcised and had him named. Anybody know why? Any guesses? Because that's what the law said to do. If you go back to the Pentateuch, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you'll find out that the eighth day was the day you were to circumcise every male, and the eighth day was the day they were to be named. So we know from this, Mary and Joseph, they are serious about the law. Secondly, notice that after a time of purification took place, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice. Why did they do that? Any guesses? Because that's what the law said to do. They knew the scriptures. They were good. They were devout. They were righteous. They wanted to do the right thing. But but here's the last thing that I want you to see related to Simeon. What was Simeon's life all about? What's this passage tell us his life was all about? His life was all about, there's that word again, waiting. Simeon's entire life He had been waiting because the Holy Spirit had made a promise to him, had given him a vision that before you die, old man, you're going to see the Christ. You're going to see the Messiah. You are going to see hope fulfilled. Now, to really understand what this is all about, I've got to take you all the way back to the very first book of the Bible. So grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis. I want you to look at Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis chapter 12, we learn about a man that most of us here today have probably at least heard something about. His name was Abraham. And Abraham was an incredible man. You probably have heard the song, Father Abraham, our junior church kids love to sing that song, but Abraham is special uh, primarily because God offers him an unconditional covenant promise, and this covenant promise plays out throughout almost all of our Bible up to this point in time. God came to Abraham in about 2000 B.C., 2,000 years before Jesus was born, over 4,000 years from our time today in 2011. And here's the promise, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, the Lord said to Abram, he wasn't Abraham yet, his name will be changed eventually, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, you will be a blessing. Catch verse 3. This is where I really want us to spend some time this morning. God says to Abram, I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And then here it is. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God says, Abram, I'm going to make you a nation and a land and a blessing. But guess what, my friend? All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, that's kind of comical when this is shared in 2000 B.C. It's comical because Abram is married to Sarai at the time. She'll become Sarah. And they're advanced in years. And guess what they don't have? They don't have a baby. They don't have a child. 
So they're already probably thinking about, you know, what am I going to do with all of my stuff? Who am I going to pass my possessions on to? They're not even worried about a legacy because their legacy is going to come to an end. And God comes to them and says, guess what, my friend? All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's a crazy kind of promise. It's a radical kind of promise. But it's a promise that's important for us to understand this morning. See, from Abraham, we see Isaac late in life. They have a child, baby Isaac. It's a beautiful scene. Isaac has a son by the name of Jacob. He actually has two sons, but Jacob is who the line goes through. Jacob had a whole bunch of kids. He had 12 kids. You, you've heard of one of them, Joseph, man of integrity. But it's actually Judah who his, the, the lineage travels through. Um, eventually we see this great kingdom established. The kingdom of Israel is established. They have a couple really awesome great kings. Anyone heard of King David, the man after God's own heart? Then we see Solomon, David's son. It's during Solomon's reign that Israel really reaches its peak in terms of power, in terms of prestige. If there was any time in Israel's history that it seemed that this promise was about to be fulfilled, it would be during the time of Solomon, maybe 900 B.C. or so. But then something really terrible happens. Civil war breaks out, and this great kingdom splits into two, the northern kingdom versus the southern kingdom, Israel versus Judah. And when you read through the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, you'll come to this conclusion. There were so many more bad kings than good kings. You wonder when God's just going to blow it all up. And their demise eventually comes. The north falls in 722 to Assyria. The south falls to Judah in 586 B.C. And then around 430 B.C., God, God stops talking. God stops communicating. For 400 years plus, there is silence. No prophets record anything from the Lord. And it really reaches an all-time low in 63 BC when the battle of Jerusalem takes place and a Roman general by the name of Pompey some of you history majors will remember Pompey Pompey does the unthinkable he goes into the temple but he doesn't stop at the temple Josephus lets us know that he goes into the most sacred place of all what's that called the holy of holies where only the high priest could go only once a year. Pompey and his soldiers walk in. They look around. They're not really all that impressed. They walk back out. And the God-fearing people are convinced lightning's about to strike. He's going to be shot down. God's going to blast him in a holy kind of way. And guess what happened in 63 B.C.? Absolutely nothing. And at that point, Many, a God-fearer, decided that the God of the Romans, Jupiter, must be greater than the God of Israel, Yahweh. And they walked away from the faith. Our Simeon, from our story in Luke chapter 2, he, he was probably a teenager about that time. A time when many people begin to develop a faith of their own. A faith they embrace or a faith they walk away from. 
And as he looked around and he saw literally thousands of people saying, we no longer have confidence in, in the God of Israel, Yahweh, Simeon stayed true. He waited on the Lord. And it's sometime after that that he has this great vision. Simeon, stay faithful to me, and before you die, you'll hold the Messiah. Before you die, the Christ child will be in your hands. Let's go back to Luke 2. Jump back to Luke chapter 2, verse 27. The conclusion of the Simeon narrative. It says, moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took Jesus in his arms, praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. Listen to his words. The Lord's salvation has arrived. He will be a light for the Gentiles. He's been prepared for all of the people. And so the point of the Simeon narrative, it's really pretty simple. Simeon proclaims the wait is over. The promise has been fulfilled. The centuries-long hope has been realized. Jesus Christ is born. And if you really listen, if you read between the lines, you can hear Simeon proclaiming that his weight this great weight was worth it. So my friend, what are you waiting for? As you come to First Christian Church this morning to worship, many of you are here for the Bible school program. It's going to be a lot of fun. I hope if you're not planning to stay, you'll reconsider that and you'll stick around. What are you waiting for? Some of you might be waiting for a child to return home from college for, for the break. Some of you might be waiting for your child to go back to college, right? If we're being honest about it. Maybe like me, you're waiting for the Chicago Cubs to finally win the World Series. I think I would settle for them even going to the World Series. I'm waiting for June 16, 2012. Anybody know what that date is? That's the date my 15-year-old daughter gets her driver's license. And, and I'm not waiting in anticipation, let me just tell you that. I'd like to extend that a little bit longer. What, what are you waiting for? I told you before, I've got a wait problem. I'm not good at waiting. But one of the great spiritual disciplines in life is the wait on the Lord. Let me give you a promise from the prophet Isaiah. I love the prophet Isaiah. Um, Isaiah gives us so much about the, the coming Messiah. Here, here's what Isaiah says in chapter 40, begin with verse 28. He says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. 
His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. But those who hope on the Lord, some translations say, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So this morning, do you find yourself waiting on the Lord? Do you find yourself saying, Lord, what's going on? Marla and I have a, a couple in our life that, that are friends of ours. And this year, um, he lost his dad unexpectedly. He lost his brother to cancer just about a month ago. And she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she's already had a couple surgeries and a third maybe just around the corner. And I was visiting with her at a basketball game a couple weeks ago. And I said, how are you doing? She goes, I just can't wait for 2012 because it's got to be better than 2011. Some of you this morning, that's where you're at. I know that's where you're at. And so my message for you this morning, I hope is clear. The wait is worth it. The wait is worth it. Jesus said in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. And a few verses later, he said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I've got a weight problem. But the weight for the Lord will all be worth it. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. And it's a busy day. A lot is happening. And that's good. And we rejoice in that. But right now, uh, maybe the most important part of our service is going to take place. And I just pray that your spirit would move in, in my heart and in our hearts. As we come together and we sing this, uh, this song of commitment, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for uh, the fulfillment of that promise made to Abraham so many, many years ago, over 4,000 years ago, that Jesus truly is a blessing of all blessings. He's the hope of all hope. And when the Christ child was born in Bethlehem so many years ago, the wait was finally over. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. It is invitation time, as it is every week at our church. And I realize that most Sundays, most of us are Christ followers. Uh, many of you, you probably made a, a commitment to Christ decades ago, and that, that's a good thing. But this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I invite you to come up as we sing this song and to give your life to Christ. And if you're not a big public decision kind of person to seek myself or Kent or Ernie or Jim or Adam afterwards, we'd love to talk with you about what it means to be a follower of Christ. I know a lot of us are struggling this Christmas season, and I want to offer a special invitation that if you need prayer, I would love to pray for you. I'm going to be right over there by the fire extinguisher. And if you need prayer, pl please come up as we stand together and we sing our commitment song led by Jim.